Welcome to our ongoing discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. Our purpose in this series of programs is to ask the most fundamental questions about the Christian faith. What was the gospel that Jesus preached? What is the meaning of faith and believing? What did the New Testament church and the apostles offer the public as a summons to belief and action? What were they promising their followers? We suggest that Jesus Christ, when he's properly understood, was, so to speak, in the immortality business. Now, of course, he was not dealing with finances. He was not selling anything. But the urgency of his message can be explained only on one basis, and that is that he saw the destiny of human beings depending upon what they did with the message they received from him. And that message was called the gospel about the kingdom of God. It spelled out the twin destiny of mankind, either to be burned in the lake of fire, as to say destroyed and reduced to a pile of ashes and a puff of smoke, or, on the other hand, to gain immortality and to live forever in the coming kingdom of God. The Christian, therefore, is invited to prepare now for that coming age of the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus is coming back to this planet that is the testimony of all the apostles and of Jesus himself and of the prophets of the Hebrew Bible. Jesus is going to return to this planet to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem and to take up his rightful throne on the throne of David to be established then in the headquarters of the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, on this planet renewed and renovated in a brand new era of human history. Did you know that Abraham, the father of the faithful, to whom, as Paul says in Galatians 3.8, the gospel was preached beforehand, did you know that Abraham was expecting to live in the promised land, the land in which he actually dwelt as a resident alien? You'll find this remarkable fact in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. If you have a Bible handy, any translation will do, please look with us at Hebrews 11, and verse 8. In that remarkable verse, we read that by faith, Abraham, when he was invited to go out into a place which he was going to receive as an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And then in verse 9, by faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of the promise, as in a strange country, a foreign country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the very same promise. I wonder if you caught the remarkable meaning of those two verses. Did you notice that in verse 8, Abraham was invited by God to go out from his place of origin in Ur of the Chaldees to a place which he was afterwards going to receive as his inheritance? Now, that place, of course, was a geographical location known as the land of Canaan. Now, it says that Abraham lived in that land. And what land was that exactly? Well, verse 9 explains it for us. He lived as a resident alien. He sojourned as a stranger in the promised land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him, of the same promise. Did you notice that the land of Canaan was the promised land in which Abraham dwelt? 
You see, he actually lived in the place that he was eventually to receive as his inheritance. But you know, Abraham, during his lifetime, never received that land of Canaan, the promised land, as an inheritance. He lived there as a resident alien, if you like, as a green card man. He did not possess the country that was in fact to be his inheritance in the future. And so you say then, well, how can Abraham possibly inherit that land since he's long been dead? And the answer, of course, is that he can only inherit it by being brought back to life in resurrection. Now, that's exactly what the same chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, tells us. We read in verse 13 that all the faithful died in faith, not having received the promise. And what was the promise? Well, it was to dwell, of course, in the promised land. And again in the 39th verse of that same chapter, all the faithful heroes listed in the 11th chapter of Hebrews did not receive what had been promised to them. Because as we read in verse 40 of Hebrews 11, God had provided something better for us so that they without us should not be made perfect. That's to say that all the faithful of all the ages are going to be resurrected together at the same time in the future in order that all of us, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and the Christians of all the ages, can then inherit the promised land in which Abraham lived, actually lived, according to Hebrews 11, verse 8. And that promised land, as you see, is not a place removed from this earth. It is not a distant and remote heaven somewhere off in the skies. It is, in fact, a part of this very planet earth, namely the land of Canaan, the promised land in which, Hebrews 11, verse 8 again, says Abraham actually lived. Now, if you're following the argument of the book of Hebrews carefully here, you will see there's no mention at all of Abraham being invited to go to heaven, to be removed from the planet. No, the promised land was the land of Canaan, and that's where Abraham lived. It was just that he never possessed that land. He lived there as a stranger, as an alien, so to speak, but he had no citizenship in that land. And yet he knew that God had promised him he believed this by faith, that one day he would indeed inherit the promised land of Canaan in the Middle East, a geographical location on this planet. Now, I'm sure you've noticed, if you're reading this passage carefully, that there's no mention here of any place removed from the earth, no indication at all of any super-celestial region, a kind of heaven to which Abraham expected to be removed. No, his promise, the promise that God gave him, was precisely that he would inherit the land of Canaan, in which he had already dwelled, but not as possessing the land, only as a resident alien. Now, this idea of inheriting the land in the future fits, of course, with Jesus' own statement to his disciples, that the meek are blessed because they're going to inherit the land. Matthew 5 and verse 5. And tied in with that, of course, the famous verse in Revelation 5 verse 10, where the angels are singing and the elders are singing in heaven because God has chosen people from all races of the earth and they're going to reign upon the earth. Revelation 5 verse 10. It really is most confusing for Christians to keep talking about going to heaven when the Bible does not promise them heaven at death at all, but rather, as Jesus said, that they would inherit the earth. 
Matthew 5, verse 5. Sometimes people become rather perturbed when you point this out to them. But as a leading scholar at Cambridge said only a few years ago, heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying. Now that's a fascinating challenge to truth-seeking Bible students. Take a Bible and look at the New Testament in detail. Indeed, look at the Hebrew Bible also and search out what promise, what reward is offered to the faithful. And you will not find a word about disappearing to heaven as a disembodied soul. In fact, a leading Bible dictionary that you could probably obtain in any public library says this, No Bible text authorizes the notion that at death the soul goes to heaven as an immortal soul. That's from the Interpreter's Bible Dictionary. And you can find it in any public library. Check the fact for yourself and you'll see that much of what has been taught as traditional Christianity, in fact, is not based on the Bible at all, but on post-biblical tradition. One of the most remarkable shifts in thinking occurred in the second century and onwards, when the faith, as Jesus taught it, and as the apostles taught it, moved out into the Gentile Greek world, and it caught the disease, so to speak, of pagan thinking. It took into itself, as to say, the original faith adopted into itself pagan ideas which were floating around in the pagan Greek world of the day. Now, that's not an unnatural thing to happen, but it was, in a sense, a disaster for the faith because people then became confused as to what had originated with the Bible and with the teaching of Jesus and what, in fact, had come from pagan tradition. And that confusion remains with us today in this matter of the destiny of Christians. If we could just settle on the simple words of Matthew 5, 5, everything would become clear. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus. They're going to inherit the earth. He didn't say they're going to go to heaven. And there's a very considerable difference between those two ideas. It's important in any textbook to take the information that we read there in the proper order. Now, we don't begin with books towards the end of the New Testament. We begin with the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the reward of the faithful is not to go to heaven, but to inherit the earth. He could not have made that clearer than the famous statement in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, their inheritance is to be on this earth. It's to be the possession of the earth. They're going to inherit the earth. Taking his text, of course, from the Hebrew Bible, Psalm 37, where five times it is promised by God that the faithful are going to have the earth as their inheritance. Now, Christians get most confused when they pull one verse from a later book in the Bible, Hebrews 11, namely Hebrews 11 and the 15th verse. There we read that the faithful were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And so most Bible readers rush to the conclusion, oh, that must be then heaven as a place removed from this earth. What they've not noticed is that in the very same book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as a heavenly gift, now, that doesn't mean that you have to go to heaven to get it. Heavenly, in the Bible, means something that is of divine origin. It comes from heaven. It does not mean that it's located in heaven. The very phrase, kingdom of heaven, can be misleading to those schooled on the idea that heaven, as a place removed from this planet, is the objective of the Christian faith. But you see, the kingdom of heaven is a good Jewish expression which means the same as the kingdom of God, and both those expressions, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, refer to the kingdom which will be set up 
under the whole heaven. As we find in Daniel 7, verse 27, it's to be a kingdom on this planet, but it's to be a divine kingdom because Jesus himself will be supervising and ruling that kingdom along with the saints of all the ages. All the faithful will take part in the government of that kingdom. The idea is exceedingly simple, but it is ruined once we take on board the notion that heaven as a realm beyond this earth somewhere, distant from the planet, is really what the Bible means by heavenly kingdom. It doesn't mean in heaven, it means from heaven. And so you see in Hebrews 11, when we read that uh, Abraham actually lived in the promised land without possessing it, we find that in Hebrews 11 verse 8 and 9, that kingdom, that inheritance that Abraham looked forward to, was obviously a place on this planet, a geographical location. Now that's the heavenly kingdom that was promised to him. It's to be a kingdom which will be directed by heaven itself when Jesus comes back to rule in Jerusalem. That's also a city which, is go which God has prepared for Abraham and Isaac and all the faithful. You'll find that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16. The city to come is also the heavenly city. As to say, it will be divinely guided, divinely instituted. It does not mean that it will be in a place removed from this planet. That's all we have time for for today. We invite you to call us or write to us at the address that will be given in a few moments. Join us again as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.